This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MDT podcast. This week we are going to be talking about two-hour response times, which is a a new-ish target that we've got uh, here in the UK at the moment. Actually, definitely in England. I'm not sure if all four nations. Yes, it's all four nations. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Ian shrugged his shoulders there. You couldn't see that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm Joe Preston. I am a consultant geriatrician at St. George's in South London. Hello, my name is Georgie. I'm a teaching fellow at East Surrey Hospital. And I'm Ian Wilkinson. I'm another consultant geriatrician and I also work at East Surrey Hospital and I work with Georgie. This week, we're going to be following our patient, Jean, and we're going to bump into the two-hour response team and understand what role they might have in supporting emission avoidance. We're going to understand the types of patients that present to the two-hour response service, but also the presentations that their patients may come with and Mm -hmm. what the services can do to try and help reduce unnecessary admissions to hospital. This week, you've been interacting with our MD teaser. This is the Wordle-based game with a, a clue each week. And the word this week has been crisis. Crisis. It's a good one. I saw loads of people interacting and congratulations to those of you who've got it right. And there'll be a lovely MDT book that'll be winging its way uh, to the first one of you that got this right. And you will know who you are. So just to go over the word this week is crisis, crisis response, because this week the two-hour response teams might in your area be referred to as crisis response as they're working with people at risk of an acute hospital admission, providing care in their own homes. And the paper of the week this week is all about looking at admission avoidance and hospital at home services for older people living with frailty. So this is a rapid response report from Healthcare Improvement Scotland. Um, And so back in 2019, they did a literature search and then COVID came along, interrupted their methods. And so they did a January update. And so we're just going to look at the update, but we'll put the link to the full document on the show notes. Um, They had a number of different outcomes of interest. They looked at the mortality, hospital admission rates, transfer to residential settings, average length of stay for those who stayed in hospital, quality of life, patient satisfaction, staff satisfaction, safety and cost effectiveness of these services. And so these patients were randomised in two to one ratio. So for every two under the hospital at home services, there was one in inpatient hospital care. They were all over 65 and they were randomised between 2015 and 2018. Um, And because the definitions of hospital at home and of mission avoidance services vary across and between teams, they had four essential components that they said a service had to have to be included. So that was they needed geriatrician-led admission avoidance. They needed a multidisciplinary team. They needed healthcare guided by the principles of comprehensive geriatric assessment. And then that included virtual rounds. And they needed direct access to acute hospital-based healthcare, such as diagnostics and transfer to hospital. So out of this patient group, the mean age was 83.3 years old um, and 60% of them were female. And 72.3% had some form of cognitive impairment. Um, The most frequent presentations were acute functional deteriorations, falls, shortness of breath, confusion, dementia and delirium. I think that's a good representative Mm, sample of the sort of things that we would see on a normal medicine for the elderly ward. 
Yeah, and keep that in your mind because that will come up later in our chat. So when they went on and looked at the comparing this hospital at home group to this inpatient group, they actually found there was no difference in the number living at home at six or 12 months. There was no evidence for a difference in risk of death at six or 12 months. There was more admissions to long-term residential settings for those who had an inpatient stay. But the longer, the mean length of stay for patients in the hospital at home group was 6.89 days versus 5.25 days in the inpatient group, which I would question is quite quite short times, actually, compared to what maybe I've seen in the wards as well. I think it depends on how you categorise the ward. So if you look at a medicine for the elderly ward, yeah, your length of stay might be somewhere between 10 days and 16, 17 days, something like that. But if you looked at all older people presenting to the emergency department that were admitted, for example, in my hospital, we've got a large AMU. The older people that are in AMU, a lot of them will will leave hospital in a very short period of time. So maybe the, the, the aggregated length of stay might be about I could see that might end up about five days. A large volume of short stay yes, and so then a smaller volume. Of- yes. So, yeah, these patients had a higher risk of readmission or transfer to hospital in the hospital at home group within one month of the service, but that didn't continue at six or 12 months. And there's some suggestion that this is because there's challenges accessing overnight care. Um, and interestingly, there was no difference in rates of delirium at three and five days. But actually in the hospital at home group, there were only five recorded cases. So it's really difficult for us to extrapolate. So that altogether doesn't seem like it's any better to have hospital at home versus inpatient. But actually, they went on to work out the um, mean difference in costs. So if you just look at hospital costs and healthcare costs uh, for the hospital at home group, they cost £2,265 less per patient stay. Um, and when you include societal costs, they cost £2,840 less. So although there's no significant difference in quality adjusted life years, there is a, a good cost-saving benefit to using hospital at home services. Mm. Um, and that's probably a big reason why there's quite a bit of investment. And those, those are quite hard endpoints as well, aren't they? Mortality, living where you used to live, admissions. So it ignores all of the other benefits that may come from staying at home. You know, keeping moving, being in your own environment, you know, the choice of that as well. So in in, in that terms, it, I think it's, it's incredibly positive to be on par essentially with some very hard metrics yeah i agree and that's a really nice way of looking at it as well okay so in the last episode jean the patient that we've been following as i'm sure you all know um was seen by her gp and now she's presenting with an acute functional deterioration uh, the carers have come to visit and they found her in bed unable to get out um, by herself so the carers have contacted the gp and the gp has uh, recognized this as a crisis and is uh, involving a two-hour response service to try and help her to be able to stay at home that's the focus of this episode so we're going to be looking at the work of two-hour response services and we're really conscious that these are going to vary in design and might look a bit different across the country depending on where you are and they may be quite new services or they might be quite well evolved but we're hoping that this will give you a bit of an insight into the model and uh, the principles that everyone will be working towards. And these teams have a multitude of different names they might be called rapid response, crisis team, the urgent community response team and, and, and loads more. And um, for simplicity, we're just going to re- for this episode, we're going to talk, call them the two-hour response teams. And I think this links back into an episode that we did in series eight, so it's eight point six, I think, when we were talking about seeing and treating at home. So when you assess someone at home, and what can we see and treat? 
So if you want a little bit more clinically focused episode uh, about assessing acutely unwell people in their own home, then go and have a listen to that or listen here first and then go back to that, whichever. <laughs> um, but one of the things I think it's it's useful just to think about is um, when we are seeing a patient like Jean at home, thinking about a forest assessment. And this was uh, designed or came, came up with with her team by Amy Heskett, who has joined us in a, a lot of um, our episodes and that one in particular. Mm. You can find her on Twitter. She's Mrs. AP. P like a P. A like P. A, you would eat a P. Like yeah. tea, like a cup of tea. Yes. Episode. <laughs> um, so for an urgent situation uh, in a person who's living with frailty, you might want to consider whether or not home treatment is feasible. So a type of a triage. And so FOREST is an acronym. First is F is function. Can they do the basic activities of daily living with care available at home or can additional support be found if needed, for example, from their family? O is for observations. Are they within the normal range or within a range that you're comfortable with with someone being at home? R is review. Can you ensure a prompt review by an appropriate healthcare professional? E is examination. This needs to be detailed and thorough. And can you identify an underlying cause? S is safety, both of the environment for the patient and also uh, their clinical condition. And T is timely. This is the initiation of an action plan that needs to be prompt and possible in the home. So in May 2021, the Urgent Community Response Two-Hour Crisis and Two-Day Reablement Response Standards were published. A bit of a mouthful, but it's a really useful document to go and have a read. Um, and we spoke about reablement a few episodes ago. So today we're just looking at those crisis response services. A crisis response is delivered by a community-based service, typically provided by a multidisciplinary team to adults in their usual place of residence with an urgent need. And so that two-hour response is typically required when a person is at risk of admission or readmission to hospital due to a crisis. And it is likely that they will attend hospital within the following zero to 24-hour period without intervention to prevent further deterioration. And where a response can keep the person safe at home in their usual place of residence. So these services are designed to reduce those avoidable admissions and readmissions. And typical presentations for a team like this would think, be things like falls, as long as they don't have any apparent serious injury that needs ED attention, decompensation of their frailty, reduced function, deconditioning and reduced mobility. Um, they might be heading towards a more palliative or end of life uh, support and patients who are needing urgent equipment provision to be able to stay at home to maintain their safe function. We're going to have a, a bit of a think about the evidence base. And I think just, just the headline really is, is there's a lack of comparable literature about these services because there's a lot of local variation and each service has slightly different patient groups, service ability, service availability, the amount of social care input and support. And we know that can influence admission related decision making. So we're not always uh, comparing apples with apples. There's a lot of place-based co-construction and co-design that has gone on with these um, two-hour response services. Like many health services during the pandemic, though, lots of these services underwent funding or service design changes, and there is an increasing emphasis on them and support for out-of-hospital services. And those of us that are involved in setting up virtual wards are often drawing on the two-hour uh, response teams to try and help set up the virtual frailty wards. Or at least we are. I hope everyone else is. Mm. And so they're rapidly developing and changing. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the literature and evidence base about this. And it'll be interesting to see where services sit in one, two, three, five, ten years time as things change in the UK. 
We'll put a link in the show notes, but um, Healthy London have a really useful rapid review of a number of different admission avoidance programmes and rapid response services nationally. Um, it was completed in 2016, um, but it is a really, really nice document and do go and have a read and see the huge variation in service design. One of the common features and strengths of all of these services is the multidisciplinary integration. So they have MDTs from a whole range of backgrounds and really good collaborative links with the wider community health teams, such as district nursing, whilst remaining distinctly separate services. So I went and spoke with Paul, who is a paramedic working within the East Sussex Crisis Response Service, about the services that they provide in their team. And we spoke a bit more about the team as a whole. My name's Paul. I'm a paramedic with the Crisis Response Service out of Eastbourne Hospital. So what other clinicians do you have that make up your team? So we're a multidisciplinary team. We're made up of support workers and night sitters, nurse associates, nurses and paramedics. We've got nurse practitioners and paramedic practitioners, occupational therapists and advanced clinical practitioners. Do you have any um, oversight by any doctors, um, GPs, geriatricians, any medical input? Yes, we, we have a couple of doctors that we're able to call throughout the week. So if we have any questions or concerns, uh, we want some advice about a, a patient and uh, to put a case together, we can discuss a case and, and get some advice and uh, find out what would be beneficial for the patient and get some feedback. Lovely. Are they based in the EG? Are they based in CDEC? Are they AMU? Are they GPs? Um, so we have the geriatrician, uh, consultant geriatrician, and uh, another doctor, medical reg, uh, which we can uh, seek support from. How do you receive referrals for new patients and what's the onward journey after a team like yours has seen them? The crisis response service can receive referrals from the hospital, the ambulance service, district nurses, GPs, the hospice and any other community team who work with patients who are at high risk of hospital admission or readmission. Examples of referrals that crisis response could receive would be patients who are generally unwell, patients who are in infection with a news 2 score less than 5. We can manage patients with a news 2 score more than 5 but we just have to really justify why we're doing that. We can manage exacerbation of long-term conditions, for example, COPD. We can undertake crisis management of urinary catheters, but they would need to be blocked, causing the patient pain or bypassing. We can look at functional deteriorations in patients, so patients who are acutely chair or bed-bound. We can manage patients who have fallen, but they must have no obvious significant injury, for example, a neck of femur fracture. And we can manage patients in residential care as well. With regards to sort of onward journey, uh, we look at patients and we sort of consider their needs. That's really a sort of part of our service. And uh, we can refer patients into adult social care, district nursing, GPs, hospice, speech and language, any other community team or any other service we feel is appropriate. Um, But where hospital admission is required, and does happen sometimes, then we can refer the patient directly to the same day emergency care or the AAU as appropriate. I think it's all about trying to give the patient the right care, and, it, and it's about appropriate. And as clinicians, we tend to go towards what's medically right for the patient. And actually, we kind of sometimes, or we, we can sometimes overlook what's important to the patient themselves, um, especially in things like end-of-life care. End-of-life patients look unwell. They are unwell. But that's an expected process of dying. So I'm looking at looking at what the patient wants to do in their journey and their wishes and expectations it's about managing those and trying to deliver those as best they can whilst giving the patient information to be able to make an informed decision i think there's that model isn't there in uh, gp a lot of gp assessment but anywhere is that um ideas concerns expectations yes absolutely and so it's really like you're listening to what are the patient's concerns but both the concerns for admission and concerns for 
they want some help. Yeah. You're balancing those maybe a little bit more than traditionally we have. Yeah, um, so I'm looking at, uh, I'm, I'm taking account to what the patient is telling me. Um, I'm listening to their thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. listening to what their concerns are, having a discussion around their concerns to see if I can reduce them, change them, modify them. Um, and also dispel some of them. Sometimes the patient has a concern because they've seen something or heard something and actually that's not the case anymore. So we can actually go down that route as well. And sometimes that will allow the patient to make the decision to be admitted or vice versa. Actually, the patient says, I can only go to hospital because it's the only place that can look after me. We turn up, we assess and we go, actually, what we could do is this. What do you think? How do you feel about that? And you've got like a wealth of people as well to create a really holistic team, haven't you? Absolutely, background from our team. Um, so, for example, our nursing team, uh, we have nurses from community, from ITU, from A&E, all coming together and everyone's got different experiences so we can bounce off each other within the team as well. It's what I love most about the team. So, what <clears throat> is your service's sort of goals to provide for patients? What Are there any like limitations that, that, or time limits and things? So within the crisis response service, we're basically an urgent two-hour community response for patients who are in crisis where an unplanned admission could be avoided. So we take on patients, we can case manage them up to about 72 hours and support those patients. We predominantly look at the ambulatory care pathways for UTIs, pneumonia, cellulitis and admission avoidance. So we're looking at patients who we could avoid potentially hospital with who we have a pathway for the other part of our pathway is also to facilitate a timely return to the patient's home so patients who are in hospital we can put in things like packages of care um, support to try and get the patient home while they're waiting on community services to get involved is that for patients on wards or um, patients just front door so ed amu we can work with the, the hospital intervention team um, who go and assess the patient on a ward decide that they need to go home and then we can facilitate things like OT, we can facilitate things like packages of care to start waiting for adult social care and other sort of community services to get involved and to pick the patient up and we can hand the patient over having done the assessments. So how is your team divided and what are the main assessments and management skills that each group of of professionals brings to the team? So we're kind of divided really up in our team into sort of three main areas. We've got sort of support and social care, we've got nursing and we've got occupational therapy. So if I start with support and social care, they can do things like assessment of care needs, short-term packages of care, and we can go up to double up four times a day got a penny handover to an adult social care. We can also support patients with things like oral medicine administration that would be done through our support and social care team. Could you take a referral of patients that just need that or would you generally need sort of a medical indication too? No, no, we, we can take patients for that as part of our um, discharge. So we can support patients who need to go home by getting a package of care in place just pending adult social care. So if we pick it up for a few days, wait for them to pick it up and go from there. And so what sort of thing um, is the nursing team doing? Within the nursing team, which includes paramedics, uh, we've got advanced medical assessment. We can do urgent pathology and microbiology for things like faecal immunochemical testing for faecal occult blood. We could also do things like bladder scanning, catheterization, which includes urethral, including tear and tip and suprapubic. We do 12 lead ECGs. We've got access to lifting equipment such as the razor chair and hover jacks. We've got independent non-medical prescribing. We can do medicines reviews including anticholinergic burden. 
We can look at administration of subcut and intramuscular medications and also administration of IV medication. We can do things like respect forms and end-of-life care planning, administration of JIC just in case medications. We can start and manage ambulatory syringe pumps and syringe drivers. Um, we can go down the route of recognition of life extinct as well, should we need to. A lot. <laughs> Quite a lot within the team, absolutely. Um, and then we, can, we go on to our occupational therapy team as well, and they can do things like purpose tea pressure, assessment and management, occupational therapy assessments, and occupational therapy equipment prescribing, for example, adjustable hospital beds and repose mattresses. What are the, some of the reasons that a patient that you see might need to go to hospital um, and that you as a team might not be able to manage after um, assessing them and triaging them? So within the crisis response, obviously, we can, we can do our assessments and it's an assessment and a triage to see if we can safely accept the patient and safely keep the patient out of hospital and take into account the patient's wishes. But if a patient presented with uh, urinary symptoms but ended up on assessment having urosepsis, then the likelihood is we would offer the patient admission to hospital for further assessment, IV antibiotics, uh, and going down the route of risk of severe rapid deterioration, and uh, we can get the ball rolling that way. Uh, but if the patient does go in, we can go directly to uh, same-day emergency care or the uh, AAU Lovely. wards as well. But generally speaking, we don't take patients with a news 2 score of 5 or more um, unless we've had a discussion with the patient and there is other factors involved in keeping them at home. We don't accept under 18s into the service. We don't have a paediatric specialty at all. Um, we don't accept patients where there's an acute mental health as the primary diagnosis. Uh, we will take uh, mental health as part of support and refer on to other services, but we don't take uh, acute mental health. There is another service which uses crisis in the title, which is an, uh, an acute mental health service. We are different from them. So just talking about the skills and services that your team has, um, I'm assuming that quite a, a proportion of your workload is the patients over 65? Yes. Um, we, we have some patients, um, for example, community IV antibiotic administration, uh, where we support district nursing, for example, who might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, generally speaking, the patients who get presented uh, present to our service would be over 65 yes and of those patients that are presenting over 65 what proportion of them are in your old old group and um, so your patients over 85 I, I couldn't give exact numbers um, I'd probably say that 40 or 50 percent of our service would be over 80 so we've talked about the skill mix and everything that your service provides but what is one of the biggest challenges of working with um, older adults in this role when dealing with elderly patients, it comes really down to the complexity of their needs and consideration of the wider picture, including the social care. So it's not as simple as looking at it solely from a medical point of view. The medical point of view and what we want to do as clinicians is a consideration and it's a discussion with the patient and it's weighing up the risks and benefits and patient wishes and having a discussion around it and uh, coming up with a plan that the patient is consented to and accepting of. And speaking personally about you, um, what do you like best about the service and working as part of crisis response? I like the fact that we are a diverse team of experienced clinicians and we're able to react quickly to meet patient needs. I like the fact that we have a management team who support clinicians to develop within the team and that we are able to go out and undertake advanced physical assessment and that as clinicians, we are 
pushed to work hard for our patients and supported to do so. So should we talk through some of the bits that came up in in Paul's audio? He talked about who was in the team, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And they're divided into three. He talks about those three subspecialties. Um, so support and social care, nursing and OT are sort of three branches of their service. And I just think it's really important to remember that maybe not all of the teams have exactly that divide of teams. And um, I know that their support and social care is quite strong in their their team. Like they have their own set of care, uh, sort of HCA equivalents, um, which not all services will as well. He also talked, I think, which is quite nicely and, and quite important for these services, that actually there's a whole range of places and people that might give the referrals. Mm. But wherever the referral comes in, the assessment and management is is kind of standard. But I think there is something amongst us that are helping set up and run services like this to make sure that uh, everyone understands what the service can deliver but also what it can't. Mm. And there are some things that are so complex and some people's multimorbidity that is so tricky that actually you do need a hospital admission mm. and all of the the integrated services and rapid diagnostics that comes with that to sort out some people sometimes. Mm. It's using the, the right set of resources at the right time for yeah. each person. I listened back to episode 8.6 and I remember listening to it at the time that it came out as well and and when I was discussing with Paul as well and the thing that really just continues to surprise me is that to me as a paramedic thinking about the patients that I felt that I could manage or could that needed hospital admission actually these patients that they describe and that the documents describe actually are a little bit outside of my comfort zone so I think that you need to have really good communication between those that can refer into your service and those who are delivering your service to say what they can take because it is a little bit out of people's comfort zones of what we think traditionally community care can manage um, so it's just remembering that and really understanding your local services mm. when you say out of your comfort zone georgia can you tell us what, what you mean i think uh so I, the one that really jumps to mind i remember in episode 8.6 we talk about a patient who can't mobilize and there's acute functional deterioration and so I think as a paramedic you traditionally if you saw that on your little ambulance screen on the way to the job you'd see oh they can't walk all right that's an admission to hospital and actually the tolerance and thresholds for these teams that they can manage and put in a package of care with maybe like two person QDS package of care in quite quickly it doesn't always happen but they can do that that's within their potential is something that I that yeah is different to what I would traditionally think and maybe forces me to change my assessments a little bit to not be as biased um, as previously it feels safer to just go to hospital and I it's kind of shift saying that it's kind of shifting those internal algorithms that we have mm. for what am I going to do with this introducing more variables I guess to consider and then sort of relearning for ourselves what what that means to be able to deliver and the NHS uh, guideline for crisis response services was published in March of this year, so 2022, and it discusses how two-hour response teams or urgent community response should work in a multidisciplinary way, like an MDT, mm. and that uh, staff will learn each other's roles a little bit, and there becomes a little bit of blurring of, of uh, the boundaries between roles. And we heard from Joe, who's a physiotherapist, talking about how they would have worked with Jean in episode 11.6 and how the front door service is enabling them to do that in the hospital setting. And I think Paul uh, also discussed about how assessments are carried out together and that 
those joint insights inform the assessments and you get learning from each member of the MDT. And, and the, the advice also goes on to advocate how those close working relationships between the two-hour response teams and the diagnostic services have to happen as well. And Paul talked about in their service in East Sussex about being able to refer into speech and language therapy, occupational therapy and other teams that exist already in the community. And I think one of the things linking from this to virtual wards actually is that I think there's an opportunity here for us to really pull together a number of the Mm. community services because there's also what we've not talked about sort of maybe intermediate care teams and the community matrons and, and all sorts of people that are doing similar but different roles and actually maybe one of the things we have to start doing is trying to make sure that we all know what each of these people does mm. and what each of these teams do. I think um, and that having good links between the response teams and diagnostic services, um, Professor Daniel Lasson spoke at the recent BGS Urgent Emergency Care Conference about their hospital at home service in Oxford. Um, and he was saying about how they have point of care ultrasound and they can do the recording of the point of care ultrasound, send it to the hospital cardiology services, who can then arrange for a patient to go into an echo and return home without having an admission or going through any other um, hospital things. And so just by having that really good relationship between him, his team and the hospital team um, meant that means that patients can stay out of hospital. Yeah. And again, it's, re- it's, it's shifting what we see hospital as providing isn't it which I know it sounds flippant say but that's why it's quite nice it's called hospital at home because you are shifting those secondary care elements into the community in a really patient focused way I'm really excited about all this at the moment Mm. this is kind of a lot of what I'm working on (laughs) so I really enjoy it so let's have a think about this two-hour response team and how they might be involved with Jean so we know she's had her acute functional deterioration she's been stuck in bed the carers have called the crisis team yeah so the two-hour response team might go out. They will undertake an assessment that encompasses um, assessing Jean's medical presentation, her home needs, her current functional ability, and her current care needs. Um, and back in episode 8.6, they discussed how they use an A to H approach to go through this. So go and have a listen to that because it's really, really useful. They look for... Uh, so they'll have a joint visit between the nurses and the OTs and they will look for a medical reason for acute deterioration. If there's no obvious medical cause, they could do bloods, they could do a physical assessment, take those bloods to the hospital, get some answers that day. If there's any differences there to having the OT there means that they can get any acute equipment prescribed and then they can send their support workers a few hours later to install and fit that kit. And then the nursing staff can liaise with Jean's care agency to short term increase her package of care up to QDS if needed. The team then have a 72-hour window to manage Jean at home and to do this with a range of support. They can then implement to double up care calls to four times a day, for example. And over this time, Jean's presentation improves and after 72 hours, her care can be passed back to her own GP to manage um, as usual in primary care. And we will follow up with Jean in the next episode when she will meet the next member of the MDT group of teams that are Mm -hmm. going to be looking after at home. But before we get there... Um, That is everything we wanted to talk about with Mm -hmm. urgent community response or the two-hour response time. Please interact with uh, the discussions about this. You can contact us on Twitter at MDT underscore podcast or on Facebook. Dot com forward slash MDT podcast. Or via Instagram. At MDT podcast. Or also on our website. 
www.mdtpodcast.co.uk. Essentially, if you Google MDT podcast, you will find the root. It comes up everywhere. Of yeah. preference. Yes. yes. And on the website, just to remind you, there are show notes. There are. There are infographics. There are. We should have a tick when we get to go pitting. <laughs> there are show notes, infographics. There are a CPD log. There are all of the other episodes that we've ever, ever recorded. There's a hundred and something of them there with all of those show notes, references, infographics, all of that. You can also find our Twitter feed comes up and Georgie and Stephen do amazing tutorials in the intervening weeks between the episodes. So please have a look for those and they will be a, it's like a, a structured teaching program uh, via Twitter. The MDT Podcast. But now we have our one minute topic of the week mm-hmm. for Joe this week. And so just to remind you, so this is a, a one minute topic that Joe found out about about two minutes ago. <laughs> and what's going to happen is we have Georgie and I have drawn up a list of words that we would like Joe to include in her one minute teaching. Mm-hmm. And for those of you at home, these are the words. Joe, can you use uh, So they are music, paper, balance. Biscuits and airport. Okay, and these are to do with frailty. So wait, good luck, I think. Okay, Joe, you can come back. Okay, I'm going to reveal these words to you uh, one at a time. Okay. Okay, um, so when you include one, I will show you the next one. Ready. Okay, here we go, Joe. Uh, your time starts now. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about frailty. Um, there are some, uh, frailty is a progressive condition and you quite often uh, would like to think about advanced care planning, particularly in the end stages, can be associated with dementia and there are music playlists that you can do to help people um, sort of enhance their well-being towards the end of their life. Um, although lots of our notes are on paper at the moment, we're moving towards more electronic records like the urgent care plan, coordinate my care, whatever you have locally. And managing these patients is, or managing these people rather, is of usually a balance of priorities for them to uh, work towards their own goals. That might be being able to walk to the kitchen to get your own biscuits. And biscuits are really important because of nutrition, because we know that they become sarcopenic and then they get into a whole frailty cycle. Um, they might have other goals, such as being able to pick up Time a from the up. airport. <laughs> so joe you got you did really well there you got four out of the five thanks and you really got airport but just after the buzzer i'm afraid <laughs> just so, being pedantic just being pedantic yeah so sorry <laughs> so we'll have another one of those next time there'll be an md teaser uh, over the next week so have a look on twitter at mdt underscore podcast and you will see our word or type game that will be coming out with uh, clues every day this week for the next team that Jean, our patient, is going to come into contact with as part of her journey through the healthcare services that she may see now she's out of hospital. Jean's Community MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. The MDT Podcast. <laughs>